Hi, Liz Winstead, co-creator of The Daily Show and founder of Abortion Access Front, or as we call it, Abortion AF. Abortion AF is a nonprofit created by activists, organizers, and a variety of showbiz types who want to use our talents and platforms to raise awareness to the erosion of abortion access and create programs that help us reclaim this fundamental right. We help connect local abortion providers and activists with their community so folks can learn how to help clinics stay open, patients access care, and reverse the current decimation of bodily autonomy. We also get into good trouble exposing the lies of the anti-abortion movement at their churches, their rallies, and their religious-based fake abortion clinics where creepy people doing some sort of medical cosplay demonize folks seeking abortion care instead of providing it. Oh yeah, and our weekly podcast, Feminist Buzzkills Live, we use facts and humor to wade through the ever-changing news in this hellscape. To learn more or to make a donation, visit aafront.org. Exposing sexist ass clowns has never been more rewarding. TV has come before a live studio audience being held against their will. So, Michelle, I, I'm a big fan of your column in the Washington Post, but for people who might not be familiar with your work, would you take a moment just to introduce yourself and tell us what you're working on? Sure. So um, Michelle Singletary, personal finance columnist for the Washington Post. So I cover everything from I have too much debt. How do I get out of debt? I'm trying to send my kids to college. You know, obviously the big story right now is the economy um, recession. Is it coming? Is it here? Uh, and so anything about personal finance, I cover for the Post. Where did you, where did your personal finance journey start? Like, how did that, how did that begin for you as a career path? Uh, I think in the womb. (laughs) (laughs) I've always been very, very frugal. Uh, and, um, and I got that from my grandmother, Big Mama. She was very good with her money. And so she taught me a lot about how to handle money. And uh, so when I first got my first newspaper job, I was doing the typical things, covering zoning and fires. Um, and then the business editor asked me to join the business staff because uh, I had been covering religion, but I was covering a lot of economics about religion. And she like loved that. And so she asked me to join the business section. Now, at that time, the business section isn't like it is now. It's like a it's a it's a designation place for people now, uh, but it wasn't back in the day. Back in the day, it was like just you know stock markets and business, and you didn't have people of color and women. It was and also right. honestly, frankly, it was the place that people went before they went to retire. And so now, and this business editor created this whole staff of young adults and, you know, writers of all ages. And it was very eclectic. It was really, really quite cool. She was really ahead of her her time. Um, And uh, she asked me to cover bankruptcy and small business. And then um, then I went to go work for the Post covering the same thing. And um, always talked about how frugal my grandmother was. And my editor was like, you should write a column about all those stories about your grandmother. And I did, and readers, it, re- it it just resonated with readers. Um, you know, like I said, at that time, people weren't really writing a lot about personal finance, and they, they wanted to know, you know, how do you save? How do you get out of debt? You know, how do you talk about money with your love interest? Uh, and it just, it, it just blew up, and then I became syndicated. But tell me, tell me a little bit about your grandmother. 
So my grandmother was from the South. She was from North Carolina. She um, uh, immigrated, or not immigrated, but uh, came up to uh, Baltimore from North Carolina. And um, circumstances where my parents couldn't take care of us. So she took in me and my siblings. There was five of us all together. I was four when she took me in. I had a sister who was eight, a sister who was three, and twin brothers who were about two. And um, she, I don't even know to this day how she did it um she raised all five of us on a you know nursing assistance salary um she didn't take the cash welfare payments she didn't want to rely on the government that way she took the health care but not the cash payments and so on her little salary she raised us and I was always astounded at how good she was with her money um never paid a bill late a day in her life ever uh, and uh, paid her cars off early. She paid off her house before she retired. And I just watched her manage money in a way that to this day is still inspirational for me. Yeah. I, I, was she, did she survive the depression? Because I, I think about my grandfather um, stealing bread. Every time we, we took him out to eat, he would steal bread from the table because uh, right. he, he remembered going through it. Was she also... Uh, a child of the depression? Yeah, she was in her early adult uh, in uh, during the Great Depression. Uh, so she was full on. You know, she was in a. Uh, uh, I think she was what eighteen or nineteen when it when it first hit, uh, and so of course was in the middle of it. So she definitely had a depression era way about money. Um, and always afraid. I have to say that's the one thing I try to shake from her because she just thought every day was a recession <laughs> and you can understand <laughs> if you went through the great depression that's how a lot of them came out um so she'd save you know bags and i mean it's just very very frugal um even in good times she just that's the one thing she taught me even when you're doing well you have to act like a recession is around the corner uh, <laughs> and she was right because the recession is always around the corner Um, and she just taught me how to save and hate that. She hated that. Oh Lord. I mean, she hated, hated, hated being in debt. What's, what's something that stands out to you? Uh, is there any particular lesson that you still repeat to yourself to this day? It doesn't have to be necessarily about personal finance. It could be anything. Yeah. You know, it is about money, <laughs> as it were. Um, there were two things. Like I said, she hated debt. So she taught me to have like just, she just, my grandmother, she, we, I mean, she had two loans that I ever remember, a car loan and a house. And she would always pay the car loan off early because she couldn't stand having to make those payments. And she always wanted to pay her house off before she retired. But the one thing that stands out with me is what she taught me about saving money from every paycheck you ever receive. And so I started working when I was about 14. I was a tutor in a summer program. And she said, you should save something from every single paycheck, no matter what, every paycheck. And I have done that my entire adult life. There is not a single paycheck that I've ever received that I did not save a portion of it. Um, and I remember my first day at the Baltimore Evening Sun, or my first week, I should say, at the Baltimore Evening Sun, when I covered this massive fire and I was on the front page of coverage. So, you know, being on the front page of a major newspaper is a huge deal, especially when you first start working. So I called my grandmother and I was so excited. It's like, my mom, I'm on the front page. And she said, did you go up to the HR department and make sure that you put money aside in your credit union account? <laughs> and I said, oh, I haven't had a chance to do that. Then I heard a dial tone. 
And I thought, well, maybe the phone got knocked off or something. I don't know what's going on. And so I called her back and I'm starting to tell her, I said, oh, you know, something happened with the phone. She's, and I started to try to tell her again about this big story I had on the front page. She said, did you go up to the HR department and make sure they take out money out of your paycheck? And I said, no, she hung up on me again. I was like, I cannot believe this woman. <laughs> so I went up to the HR department. I made sure that they took out, I don't even remember what it was, maybe 10 or 15% of my money into my savings account, came back to the newsroom, called her. She asked that question again. I said, I sure did. I just did it. Then she said, tell me about your story. <laughs> and I just, I'll never forget that because she set me up for life and she was serious as a heart attack. She's like, I'm not talking to you about anything until you go do what I told you to do. And then she listened to me tell her about the story when I came back down. And I, 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 that, that really saved my life, my financial life, that principle right there. Tired of being tracked online? DuckDuckGo could help. Tracking is a comprehensive program. Trackers lurk nearly everywhere online from websites, emails, and even apps in your phone. That means you need a multi-pronged solution. DuckDuckGo's all-in-one privacy app can be used as an everyday browser with private search, tracking, blocking, encryption, and now email protection built in. It's the free, easy button for online privacy. Download the app today. DuckDuckGo. Privacy simplified. Hi, I'm Mike Reese. I've been writing for The Simpsons for 30 years. But in my spare time, I travel. I've been to Iran, Iraq, the North Pole, the South Pole, Chernobyl. These are my vacations, folks. I've even been to North Korea. That's the scary Korea. It's all in my new travel podcast on the Believe Network called What Am I Doing Here? It's fast, it's funny, and it's factual enough. You'll hear how I was robbed in Rio, kidnapped in Honduras, dangled from a cliff in Pakistan, and chased by a lady with a meat cleaver again in Honduras. I had a lot of problems in Honduras. Each week I visit all the world's hot spots and hell holes so you don't have to. You're welcome. Download and subscribe to What Am I Doing Here? wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, it's, you know, it's one that has been around for a very long time, um, but it, it continues to need to be repeated, right? Right. Uh, over and over and over again. I, you know, right. I think about uh, The Richest Man in Babylon in mm-hmm. 1926. Pay yourself first. Pay yourself 10%. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But it just hasn't take hold the way we would like. Uh, so that, that brings me to my next question for you is like, so your grandmother was always under the idea of, and my grandfather's uh, grandfather as well, that there's always a recession around the corner for my generation. When we became 18, uh, we had the, we had the dot-com crash, right? Then we had nine 11, then we had the war in Iraq and the deficit right. that came with it. Then we had the great recession. Uh, now, and then we had Trump and then we had COVID. Um, so it does feel like for millennials, elder millennials in my case, um, that there's always been a recession. There literally has been one every right. three. What, what, what do you, what, do, what would you say to, to this group of people like that has constantly had the rug like pulled out from under them mm-hmm. since they were, since they were 18? 
they've gone through so much. And what, what I'll say is that I'm very impressed with this generation. We sometimes talked about, you know, they talk about the avocado toast and, you know, that they don't want to really work hard because lots of people in your age group uh, follow the fire uh, principle, you know, financial independence and freedom so you can retire early. Um, and people are like, look at them. And I, I think you have it absolutely right that you're saying, I want to try to do the best I can with my money so I can retire and live a good life and not and live to, to work, not work to live. Uh, and so it's been tough with so much happening back to back. But even during that time, there have been some boom years. I mean, we did have the Great Recession, and it lasted longer than anybody would like. But coming out of it, you know, it, it, we started to come out of it about two years after it started. It didn't fully get blown up until probably like 2015, and then it just took off. And so they've seen the bad and the good, and hopefully they've been able to say, you know what, I need to save because the bad time is going to come, but I also can live my life life and enjoy it and travel and do some things. Um, and so that's wonderful. And so I, I actually applaud the generation. I think they are trying to learn from the older generation's mistakes of having so much debt, but also being a slave to your job. And so the only thing I only have real, the biggest piece of advice I would say, keep doing that and definitely plan for those later years. It's really hard to plan when you're 60 or 70. Um, uh, but you really do have to push yourself. If you're saving 10%, save 15%, you know, just push yourself to the max while you're also trying to enjoy life. Because I think those in my generation, and I'm actually the very last, I think I'm, I think I'm the very last year of the baby boomers. So I'm a young, young baby boomer. But we were just taught to slave, work, put your head down, keep working, keep working, keep working. And we, we are good savers, but we don't know how to spend the money that we saved because we, we just developed this habit. Now, I, mind you, I'm actually like my grandmother's generation because my grandmother raised me. So I'm really more of her generation. And they didn't teach you how to like enjoy life, that you work really hard, save, but enjoy life. And that's been my challenge. So I think the millennials and the Gen X, uh, uh, Gen Z's, and I think they got it right. I think they're getting a really good mix of life and work and saving. I think that's well said. Um, is there a question that comes up often from readers that you're like, oh God, not this again? <laughs> you know, the one question people ask me all the time that I always laugh because I think it, it sounds like obvious answer to me, but you know, should I, if I'm in debt, should I save or pay up all the debt? Um, and I say, yes. <laughs> wait, wait, what? <laughs> because you have to do both. It's not an either or situation. If you don't have any savings and a financial crisis happen, and it will, then you end up going further in debt. And so you really have to do both. Um, but what you don't have to do is meet those unrealistic expectations like three to six months living expenses while you're in debt. That's crazy. Don't have a whole bunch of stockpile of money and you've got a bunch of debt, especially now with inflation up because those dollars are not keeping pace with inflation in the savings account. So you don't want to do that. So save, you know, 500, if you can, a thousand stop, then put the rest of the money to pay off the debt. And so I always say, do you must, must, must do both. 
What do you what do you say about the the JL Collinsworth model of just putting your money into VTSAX index funds and VL? I always get it backwards. My dyslexia always plays hell with me on VTLBX. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something that I've been really fascinated by. It's something I've been doing, but I, I'm just curious. Like, what is the professional? Uh, well you know investing is very personal and you got to look at your risk tolerance me i think just growth index funds you know low cost all the way right just all the way um because it because the the fact of the matter is there's some people who can pick stocks and they want to look at the the financials of companies god bless you it's not me. <laughs> I'm yeah. not. I just can't do that. And so, um, my husband and I have built our wealth with just index funds, mutual funds. That's it. Nothing fancy, diversified. You know, uh, mostly stocks because you know we were into growth. But at a certain point, good, good, good little portion of bonds, and then just I call it set it and forget it investing. For the average investor, that is the the the, the most sound way to invest. Now, are you going to get, you know, mega, mega rich? Maybe not. But most of the people who, who do that don't necessarily either. Um, so it's it's just you. what your goal should be to beat inflation. And for the longest time, that was only 2 or 3%. So if you were getting 5 6 7%, you were doing really well. There are some years where the market was just gangbusters, and you could do 20%. You know, even during the pandemic, it, was, it could be as high as 20 or 30%, but that's not normal. So if you're aiming to just, just do well for yourself over time, low-cost index funds, Mutual funds, best way to go, as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. This is Rosie Tran from Rosie and BJ Save the World, a podcast asking big questions and discussing how to solve these big issues. This is a podcast for people just like you who ask, has the war on drugs been successful? Do we need universal basic income? Should we legalize sex work? Go to rosieandbjsavetheworld.com to get more confused. Do you want to grow your audience without sacrificing your privacy? Then the Stupid Sexy Privacy mini-series is just for you. It's a short, special presentation that will run every Thursday morning right here on Weiwo.tv for the next 23 weeks. In each short episode, we'll teach you how to preserve as much of your privacy as possible while still participating in the creator economy. You'll also hear from top privacy and disinformation experts who will teach you how to protect yourself from fascists and weirdos. And who doesn't want that? So make sure you're subscribed to Weiwo.tv where all podcasts can be found and we'll see you every Thursday morning for a special presentation of Stupid Sexy Privacy, a Weiwo.tv miniseries. Tell me, tell us about the books. So I believe there's two of them. Is that right? Do I have it right? So I have four financial four. books. Four. Oh, even better. Uh, yeah. So, uh, uh, one, um, um, uh, Spin Well, Live Rich. That's my first book many, many years ago. Then I have a book called, um, um, oh, now I forgot. Your Money and Your Man. I almost <laughs> forgot. Your Money and Your Man. <laughs> it's about, you know, relationships. And then I have a, a religious-based book called um, uh, 21-Day Financial Fast. It's a biblically based book where you fast for two, thir- three weeks, 21 days. You don't do, you don't spend on anything that's not a necessity and you don't use credit or debit 
for 21 days. Nice. Uh, and every day you read a different chapter about investing in kids and money and love and money. And also the last part of it is like, if you're a miser, stop being a miser. If you're afraid to spend, stop being afraid to spend. Um, and the whole idea of that, it came out of a program that I run at my church was to get to people to just stop spending. Because we spend so much unconsciously. Even those of us who are frugal and really good with our money. You, I always t- joke, you know, what does ATM stand for? And, you know, typically people go, oh, yeah, that's all the metallic machine. i like, nope. It stands for always taking money. <laughs> and you take out $20 and two days later, you don't even know where that money went. $50, you don't know. So there's a lot of unconscious spending. And the whole idea is to shut it all down, even debit cards. Because when you use plastic, studies show you tend to spend more than when you have to spend cash. And so shut it down. Really think about what you want with your money. Because the thing is, I'm not about trying to show people how to get rich. I want you to be well and wealthy, but I really want you to get to think about you work hard for your money or you want to work hard for your money. What do you want to do with that money? Where do you want it to take you in life? And when you think about it that way, then cut out all the rest of the stuff. Like I would never tell you don't buy Starbucks coffee because if that cup of joe now i'm not a coffee drinker but i hear coffee drinkers they live by a good cup of coffee get them started for their day if that's what it takes to get you started on your day and that helps calm you down so that when you get to your office you don't slap somebody i'm gonna need you to get that starbucks coffee but then you bring your lunch or and, and you eat dinner at home so pick in your life what's important and spend there and cut out everything else that's how you build wealth you can't do it all even the most wealthy can't. You can't go broke on $200 million. All you have to do is spend $201 million. And we right. know plenty of athletes and artists and people who have gone broke earning more than we'll ever earn in our lifetimes. And so I, my husband and I both, we try to look at what are we earning? What do we want to do with that money? What do we want to do with our life? And then we cut out everything else and we don't worry about anything else because you want to have a life that's well lived. And the only way to do that is to put some parameters on your spending. Now I got one more, I have time for one more question with you. Uh, mm-hmm. But before I get to it, tell us where we can buy the books, where we can follow you. So you can buy my books in all the major outlets, Barnes and Noble, Amazon. Please support your independent bookstores as well. You can go in and order the book. It's in every. It's, all my books were uh, published by major major publishing houses, so they're easy to get. Um, the first couple are you know next to nothing now. <laughs> my latest book is called What to Do with Your Money When a Crisis Hits: A Survival Guide. What to do with your money when crisis hits? A survival guide. Uh, and that is perfect for what's going on right now because the book is an FAQ kind of style and it's it's for like economic downturn is if things are going well the whole concept is look y'all there's always going to be a crisis always you got to be you have to stay in crisis mode always it's like when you're driving 
You can't just look forward. You have to look in that rearview mirror. You've got to look at your side mirrors. You got to be taking assessment the whole time. The same thing with your finances. So when things are good, you got to look back and go, oh, what happened in every session? I better save some more. If things are bad, you want to look forward. How can I not make sure I'm not in this position again? Uh, and so you can get them, in, you know, anywhere. Um, and listen, I'm okay if you give them from the library. I want you just to have the information. I, I really do. Uh, I'm on Twitter. Um, it's at Singletary M. That's the, that's the form that I like the most, but I'm also on Facebook. But you'll most likely see me hanging out on Twitter. <laughs> um, let, me, let me ask you, this is something that drives me crazy about most personal finance books. Is I'm a big believer in paying your taxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, I've noticed there's like a strain among some of the more popular personal finance books of the government is bad. Don't pay your taxes. Right. Uh, here's and it just, it really bothers me. And so I, I'm just curious to hear your perspective uh, on this because to me, it's like you are to me, what the reason why I read your column is you are rational and, and smart and you, you've got, you know, like there's no weird conservative politics kind of dripping right. into the personal finance. And so, I'm just curious about like your position on taxes and why people should pay it. I, I, I agree a hundred percent. Um, listen, nobody wants to give up any of their money. I get that. But here's the thing to have a civil society, we have to have taxes and, and, and you gotta not think about it selfishly. Because our taxes pay for the roads that you drive on. They pay for the schools. And people will say, well, I don't have a kid in school. Well, you went to a school (laughs) at some point. Who do you think paid for that? You know, um, it pays for the things that make us, make our country what it is, um, bridges and, and police force. And I mean, it's, it's the price you pay for civilized society. Things would cost way more if, if without our taxes. And even now, you know, we could the government do more? Sure they can, but you could do more with your money too. Um, and so I, I don't, I, you know, I, I don't go, oh, I got to pay taxes. I also don't spend an, an enormous amount of time trying to figure out how to get out of paying taxes. Right. I, you know, we, my husband and I, we do our own taxes. We take all the tax breaks that are entitled to us. And that's, that's it. I'm not trying to lie. I'm not trying to hype up. You know, it's what we do. I, we factor into our budgeting. Um, and I think that we all should should look at it that way pay your fair share and yeah. can there be some tax reform sure uh, but right now i i just and i also don't spend a lot of time trying to figure out like there's all this Roth conversion and all this kind of you know going around trying to do all that kind of stuff it's like why wow, that's a whole bunch of energy yes. right you know and and that whole sort of genre of Roth conversion for example it depends on where you are like my husband and i at this point going to probably be in the same tax bracket in retirement so we don't really need to do that. And we didn't do a Roth because we needed the tax break so that we could save to send our kids to college. We wanted more money in our paycheck during our working years so that we could save more for some other things. Um, and so I agree. It's like the whole obsession with the home uh, mortgage deduction, right? When mm-hmm. most Americans don't even take it. So people are buying a house like, oh, I'm getting this big tax break. You don't even take the deduction. So don't buy a house based on that. Um, and then I had someone say, you know, I'm going to pay off my house before we retire. And it's like, oh, you're going to lose your tax break. I said, you don't really even understand the tax. You don't yes. understand taxes if you say that to me. Because if I have no mortgage 
yeah, I might pay a little bit more in taxes, but I'm not paying the same amount that I'm paying for my interest for that mortgage. It's not a credit. It's a deduction, which means you get a percentage back of what you pay. So if you don't understand that, don't say that to me. And so I would say, so if you had a free, if you had a free house, would you get a mortgage for the tax break? And people look at me, oh, of course not. So then, then you <laughs> don't get a house for the tax break. Um, and I just, you know, there's a lot of energy people spend, especially around the personal finance space. How to cut my tax? How to do? And then somebody will say, "Well, if I if I pay off my house, I won't have that tax break." I said, "You know what? You could get the same tax break if you give to charity. So right. if you're so interested in a tax break, give more to charity, and you'll get that tax break." Yeah, but you never hear that. Like you never hear that no. part of it. It's, it's always they want to put more energy into the scheme. Correct. Avoiding the taxes than, than actually. I don't play with the IRS. Let me tell you, I don't. No. <laughs> I don't do anything that would cause me to get a, an audit because right. I'm not going to be on the wrong side of the IRS. I'm gonna pay my fair share, uh, and I'm I'm okay with it. There's an old joke in a in a uh, Batman cartoon that the Joker will mess with Batman, but he's not crazy enough to mess with the IRS. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <So>. exactly right. <laughs> no, sir. Mm-mm-mm. I mean, I, yeah, you know. And I have to say this, once you set up your financial plan, you don't have to spend a whole bunch of uh, energy and angst trying to figure out, you know, some sort of scheme. I mean, you know, the big thing now is, you know, cryptocurrency and like, you know, trying to be mega rich. And I get the technology behind it. But let me tell you, the best investing is boring. Right. You set it and forget it and go on with your life. All the scheming to try to figure out, you know, what crypto and big, you know, the most you want to do for your money is to live your life now, live for the, for, for the short term, the midterm and long term. And a lot of that is just plain vanilla. Stay out of debt. Save as much as you can. Live below your means. Save for retirement at a well-diversified, low-cost uh, instrument. If you've got a retirement plan at your work, put as much money that they allow you to put in it up to the max, which is almost 20000 now. That's going to get you millionaire status by the time you retire. Safe, secure, and boring. This is Greg Goldstein, and I'm the applause sign operator here at Weibo TV. But turning this cute little sign on is only a small part of what I do with the show. I also pay the bills. So if you like what you just heard, and you want to hear more episodes of Weibo TV, let me share with you how I make the money to pay those bills. Knock, knock. Who's there? Broken pencil. Broken pencil who? Never mind. There's no point. Did you know that laughter is a distinctive human characteristic meant to help calm us down? You see, the business of marketing may be ever-changing, but people have been documented trying to make each other laugh since ancient Greece. That's why at That Funny Agency, we're more than just digital marketing professionals with years of big agency experience. We're also professional comedians, artists, actors, writers, and musicians who have a unique insight into the science of happiness. At our digital marketing agency, we use our innate humor to bring people closer together. Customer to business, collaborator to client, friend to friend. It's almost like funny is our middle name. Oh wait, it is. So come laugh with us, journey with us, 
grow with us at thatfunnyagency.com. We're That Funny Agency. Strategic 360-degree digital marketing by unapologetically funny people. That's it for this episode of Waywo TV. Our announcer, editor, and producer is Jonathan Ingram. Additional editing is provided by Andrew Van Voorhees, and those dulcet tones you hear are those of Rosie Tran, Crixley, Colton Hagen, and Elise Randall Monica. And of course, our show is hosted by Mr. B.J. Mendelson, recording at the George Carlin Podcast Studio. So folks, stay strong, stay safe, and stay sexy. Thanks for listening. Okay, your, your, your middle name is Macho, but uh, I'm wondering if you ever cry. You ever, has a Macho Man ever cried? Oh, yeah. Really? Uh-huh. It's okay for macho men to show every emotion available right there, you know, because I've cried a thousand times, I'm going to cry some more. But I've soared with the eagles and I've slithered with the snakes and I've been everywhere in between. And I'm going to tell you something right now. There's one guarantee in life and that there are no guarantees. Yeah. And uh, I understand this. Yeah. Nobody likes a quitter. Nobody said life was easy. So if you get knocked down, take the standing eight count, get back up and fight again. Did you enjoy today's show? If you did, please take a minute and leave us a review. Yes, we know you're busy and every podcast asks you to do this, but there's a good reason they do. Because every time you leave a review, that review helps more people find and listen to the show. And you know what that means for you? More great episodes of Weiwo.tv. So what are you waiting for? Take out your phone and leave us a review right now before you move on to something else and forget about us. And we'll see you next time, right? <laughs>